Hello, this is Matt Smith, and this is the official launch of Tiger Talk on the Life at Olivet Digital Audio Network. Our hope for this new platform is to get some information in your hands, maybe hear a little behind-the-scenes info on things that are happening on and around campus, hopefully have some fun, and ultimately stay connected with you during these weird, unexpected days that have taken us all to places we never thought we would go. The goal is to do this weekly, And we'll talk to different folks around the Olivet community. And hopefully when you're done with this, you'll feel like you've got a little glimpse into life at Olivet and a little taste of home. So why Tiger Talk? Why are we calling it Tiger Talk? Well, here's a little history lesson. Back in the day when I was a student and long before and even a little bit after I got back working here in 2008, when you left chapel from Chalfin Hall on Thursday morning, the ushers would be at the back doors of Chalfant, and they would hand you the Tiger Talk. It was a sheet of paper, front and back, with like a six-point font. It was so small. And it had campus news and highlights on it. It would tell you when the next all-school event might be. It would list the next meeting of like when the Capitol Hill Gang or other clubs would meet. On the back, they would have the latest intramural standings and statistics. And I'll never forget... In January of my freshman year, 1997, a long, long time ago, it listed the A-League basketball points leaders, rebounds, and three-point field goals made, and I looked and saw my name on that list, second in the league in three-point field goals made. I felt like I was the king of the world. (laughs) And so uh, I'm going to hearken back to that. The Tiger Talk was the way that we gave uh, information to students. And so that's hopefully what we're going to do here. So over the next few minutes, um, I'll be interviewing some different people from across campus to let you see a little bit of what's going on right now on campus and uh, hopefully answer some questions that you might have. And uh, our goal is over the next several weeks that we continue to uh, unfold some good information for each of you. So what's campus like these days? It is so quiet. Uh, I walked into the rec center just a couple days ago to pick up a couple things out of my office and all of the projects that they would typically start right at the end of the school year and the beginning of summer, like painting and working on different things that need repair. Many of those things are happening now. Uh, There are still several folks on campus who are working to keep the campus going, but uh, it is quiet. I think as of right now, there are just a little less than 80 students who are still living on campus due to specific reasons. Uh, Many of you have moved out already, and um, you've transitioned to uh, a classroom in your basement or your bedroom or on your porch on a day when it's beautiful and sunny outside. Uh, Earlier this morning, I heard the tornado sirens go off around town because as I'm recording this, it's the first Tuesday of the month. And uh, that usually happens as I'm walking somewhere across campus and can't hear anything except those sirens. So uh, it's just it's just quiet. It's just eerie. But I'm hopeful that uh, we've made uh, great decisions in uh, trying to combat this coronavirus right now. And hopefully we can get things back to normal sooner than later. But until then, we're going to do everything we can to keep you connected 
uh, with things going on on campus. So I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be uh, a great way to stay connected with all of you. And so I hope that uh, you enjoy getting to hear some of these great stories uh, from people around campus. So without uh, any further ado, uh, let's talk to Kyle Olney. Well, it's super exciting uh, for me to get to introduce our first guest, uh, Kyle Olney, who uh, Kyle's day job, uh, part of his day job is he works in the library, uh, which is, uh, as everyone would think, an incredibly uh, fun job. I, I know it is because I've walked into Kyle's office before and, and we've talked baseball for a long time, but also serves as the university's director of emergency management. So Kyle, thanks for being on with us today. Uh, you... Um, you're the guy that has uh, been a part of a lot of crazy things over the last few weeks, but let's let's go back a little bit before this whole COVID-19 thing took off. You work in the library, and then you get asked a few years ago to be a part of emergency management operations for the university. What did that entail? Really, it just kind of grew up or- organically for me. Um... I'm not sure I was necessarily even asked to be a part of it. Uh, just got involved in some some campus-wide uh, projects, um, working with public safety on some some safety things, um, and just uh, it kind of just developed and over time, um, more and more responsibilities and uh, just engaging with with various activities on campus as far as emergency management goes, uh, being a part of different committees, um, and it's just kind of taken off from there over. About the course of the last five years. The last couple of years, the university has taken a more uh, strategic role in emergency preparedness. So uh, some of our students and faculty and staff will remember we've done a campus-wide fire drill, a severe weather drill, and, and that's come out of the of this office that you've been a part of and now are in charge of. Uh, that That's one thing, and that's uh, great for us to have those preparations. But a few a few weeks ago, uh, coming up on a month now, this coronavirus thing begins to become more and more uh, uh, close to us, something way different than just far off and happening over there. And that's when this thing called the EOC became active and real. So I'd love for you to take us behind the curtain a little bit, like what happened in those moments and how did you go from uh, the guy that is in charge of emergency operations on campus and making sure that we're uh, operating in a safe environment to leading a team of campus officials as a global pandemic unfolds? <laughs> That's a good question, Matt. Um, no, the emergency management that, you know, we've been working on all sorts of initiatives and, you know, planning for, for all sorts of different possibilities. Um, yeah, and then when, the, when coronavirus started becoming more of a possibility, um, there was actually a, a task force that we put together, a um, number of folks from across campus. We were meeting on a weekly basis um, to discuss and to, to figure out, you know, what might what might need to happen. It obviously really started escalating, um, not just here, but but nationally. Um, and it became apparent that we needed to uh, to activate the, the EOC. Um, EOC stands for Emergency Operations Center. And... Uh, EOC is for a specific incident. Um, so I, in the EOC, I uh, hold the title of EOC director, um, which is specific for, for this incident. Um, but it really, you know, it, it 
it may seem like it, it kind of came out of nowhere, um, but the university's actually really been uh, laying the groundwork for the EOC over the past five years. And honestly, my predecessor, uh, Dr. Bob Hall, really deserves much of the credit for, for getting the university prepared, bringing us uh, to where we are today. Four years ago, um, this month actually, there was a, a community-wide active shooter drill that we hosted here on campus, um, primarily over at Bicentennial Chapel. And we were able, back then, four years ago, um, our EOC team got together. We were able to work through some scenarios in real time um, and get some hands-on uh, practice in that setting. We've also, over the years, we've had a number of meetings, uh, other smaller exercises that we do as a team um, to practice, whether it's physically setting things up or um, discussing uh, you know situations and how to how to respond um, depending on what the situation might be. So that's been going on for for a number of years. Um, the neat thing about the way an EOC is is set up, um, its organizational structure uses uh, a nationally recognized uh, incident command system, uh, usually referred to as as ICS. Um, but that means that the framework of the the EOC that that we have uh, at Olivet shouldn't really look much different from the EOC they're using at Riverside Hospital or the County Sheriff's Department or the state of Illinois. Um, so the, the EOCs that these folks are using, they all use that same ICS framework. But an EOC is also designed uh, to function across any type of incident. Um, but the tasks and responsibilities that happen in the EOC are always, always the same. So the work we've done over the last few years um, we we haven't had a specific pandemic scenario that we've worked through, but whether it's uh, you know a fire situation that we've practiced or an active shooter situation, um, all that work done in the EOC um, is transferable to a to a situation like the one we're in right now. So I was uh, I was in the EOC. Uh, I think a, a few days after it was activated in. And I'm not sure how, how we let you in there, Matt. Yeah, it was uh, somebody that was at the front desk must have been gone for a few <laughs> minutes. Uh, but there, there was legitimately a command center and, and, and an yeah. actual physical place. Where was that at? One of the, one of the labs uh, on, on campus um, on the, the backside of uh, Benner Library. Um, we've had that designated as, a, as our EOC location for a number of years now. Most, most of the time, it's, it's just a lab. Uh, we we share space. It's not a, you know solely an EOC, but it's it's a computer lab. Uh, but we have a we have it equipped with a variety of supplies um, that are either in in the space um, or or in close proximity. So when a when an incident happens and we need to uh, to set up a command center there, um, yeah, we're able to to bring in supplies, whether it's extra TV monitors, um, whiteboards, you know, to to take notes um, we've got you know radios and uh, extra extra landline telephones uh, to be able to communicate um, variety of things uh, but again the going back to what I was just saying you know this this EOC that we have really you know there's, there's not that much difference certainly size and, and capacity will, will vary but um, the way our EOC functions um, is not intended to be any different than what an EOC would look like anywhere else. Yeah. About how many people were in that space uh, working through that? Yeah. So initially um, we've got, there's about, 
I'd say maybe 45 people that are that are officially listed on the EOC team roster, um, and part of that is is redundancies. You uh, you want to have you know some some layers and some some backups available. But when we when we activated the the first couple of days, there were probably 30. I think 33 was the most that we had at any one time um, in that space. And you've got you've got officials there from all over campus, right? You've got IT folks, uh, people from financial services. You've got administrators in there, uh, the registrar's office. I mean, I, I was absolutely blown away at the every, literally every part of campus had some representation there, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. That was that's the goal. Um, get get someone from every area um, in one room, and we got to be able to got to be able to talk, got to be able to you know process information that's coming in and um, we need to make sure everyone has a, a voice at the table to be able to speak in because obviously we each, we each know our own area and we might know a little bit of other areas, but we need all those specific voices to be able to, to bring their perspective to the table. I know in that kind of environment um, that decisions are getting made rapidly. I mean, it's just over and over as, as new information comes in and you've got administrators in there, people that you technically work for, and then you've got other directors from across campus, but yet you're the guy that's carrying the, you're, you're wearing the, the big vest, right? I mean, there's, it, you're not, you're not joking when you say it's a, it's set up like a real command center there. There are vests that people are wearing that indicate the teams that they're a part of and, and you're wearing the leader vest. How, how are you managing in that, in that quick changing environment, all of the players in that room? Well, you're right, and he, he raised a good point. Um, the, the way the, the EOC functions, um, once once you're in the EOC, your your day your daily job, your your title that you have uh, that you get your paycheck for, it really goes out the window, um, and uh, and you, you have to you have to put on that that new hat, and it's you know it can be a little little uh, interesting at times, uh, at least at the start. You know, to to be giving directives to people that usually you take them from, or vice versa, for someone to be to be taking uh, you know instructions from someone else who may not even be in their in their unit or something. Um, but that's the way the EOC is designed, and that's the way it has to work um, in order for things to get done. But and this is this is going to you know sound sound cliche, but really it's it wasn't. It wasn't, and it hasn't been hard <laughs> managing a team when when it's made up of of great people like like we've got working here. Um, everyone in in that in that group is fully committed to the university. They love the students. A number of the folks are, are parents of students, uh, current students at at ONU. Um, so it it has not been hard. And and honestly, the situation is such that no no one needed to be told how serious the situation yeah, right, is right. and how, how important it is for us to figure out. So everyone um, fully, fully invested right, right from the beginning. But you, you mentioned um, the term manage. Um, and yeah, certainly the, the director uh, needs to manage the EOC team. And that's one of the primary you know, responsibilities that I have. But the EOC as a whole uh, is really designed to help the university manage the incident. The EOC doesn't really have the final say on on policy matters. Uh, that still lies with with the administration. But the EOC's role is to gather information, to discuss information, uh, communicate that to the administration, um, 
and then and then make make recommendations as as necessary depending on on the topic um and then on the topic of communicating to the administration that that falls heavily on on the uh eoc director to kind of maintain that line of communication sometimes this happens uh i say sometimes but it, it often happens organically throughout throughout the day uh but at the end of each day I also put together a, a daily written summary of the EOC's activities that is uh, that is submitted to the administrative team, um, just to kind of keep always making sure that they're they're in the loop as to what's happening there. So let's go to the million dollar question here. It was spring break. We're in the middle of uh, enjoying whatever we're doing. I was in sunny Bourbonnais, uh, just living life to the fullest. Uh, thinking I was headed to Florida in a few days with my kids on their spring break. And uh, we get information that says we're coming back to school on Monday. So be prepared. Things are great. And then in a hot minute, it's that's it. We're going online. You need to move out soon. Um, that happened really fast. And I, I, I'll just tell you, it was I was so impressed with how the university as a whole dealt with the whole situation. It was uh it was a kind of a lose-lose situation, but tell me, what was that period of hours like when a decision had been made? You had given recommendations to uh, university, and but then uh, everything progressed so rapidly. What? Tell me what that was like. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously it was it was a little bit uh, a little bit chaotic there, and not just not just that period. The first the first four to five days, um, it was nonstop for all of us because. There was there was so much information flying around, and the situation was changing so fast. And and not I don't just mean on campus. You had you know the CDC and the State Department they were issuing guidelines, um, but then individual states, individual organizations, other colleges and universities, all starting to make decisions. And really you know looking back at it, it was really a situation where the official guidelines and the directives that were being put out on a state and national level were really two to three days behind where people were as far as their comfort level and making decisions and and all of that so you you could have people you know deciding things based on on guidelines that were in place and they, they weren't going against guidelines um but but the 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 uh Perception from the public uh, was such that you know I don't know if this is this is the best idea or not, um, and and that was all over the country that was happening. So the the decisions that were being made were were often being made you know way out in front of of guidelines. So it's just kind of a matter of where where you were looking at the time for your information as to as to what decision might get made. Um, so I mean it was. It was obviously uh, it was challenging for for everyone uh, in that incident, in that in that moment, um, and then complicating factors for us uh, certainly uh, the, the timing for our academic calendar. We were right at the end of spring break, um, so we had that uh, you know as a as another factor for us. Other institutions might have had a spring break the following week. They had already come off spring break, um, so just another factor for us. But uh, yeah, it was just the so much information was was being circulated so quickly um and just a matter of, of processing it and trying to trying to get to that that best decision for the university i think it's fair to say that no one wanted this year to end so abruptly the way that it did but it was just 
uh, we got to a point where you couldn't avoid it. So I, I, I'm curious, is the EOC still active right now? And if so, what's it look like? Yeah, that's a good question, Matt. Uh, it is still active, uh, but not, not in the same way that it, that it was uh, initially. As I mentioned, we had you know about 30 people um, gathered in the EOC space those first couple days. After that, uh, after a few days of that, our team was reduced to closer to 20, 20 people. But again, for that, that first probably five, six days, uh, most of us were working you know, eight to 10 hours um, a day on, on this incident. And then eventually as you know, further guidelines were, were put out, the team dispersed physically and began, began working remotely using uh, Microsoft Teams. We're connecting. Uh, we, we were connecting on a daily basis uh, and, and often many times throughout the day. Um, but things, you know, as as decisions have been made, as as we've returned to, you know, a little bit of uh, business as usual, obviously in a completely different context and landscape now. But as things are kind of back into to working as as they often work, um, we've tapered off the frequency of meetings. Right now, uh, we're holding a, a full EOC team debrief. Uh, three times a week, and then uh, smaller groups uh, of the EOC are meeting as necessary, you know, to the, to address certain topics that um, maybe only a few folks need to be in on the initial discussion, and then a report will come to the EOC when we have our our full debrief. So we're still still active, um, still kind of trying to manage, you know, what's what's happening on campus and decisions uh, to be made. It, part of the part of the EOC's role um, in terms of you know, thinking about all these things, obviously you have your critical decisions that are impacting right now. You know, you have to make a decision right now for the next hour that needs to be communicated. And that was a lot of what was happening early on. But then there's lots of decisions that are that are looking ahead to the future, a lot of planning that needs to be done uh, long term. Um, so some of that stuff is, is certainly continuing now. Um, and uh, yeah, so we'll there, there's no there's no definitive uh, start an end date or time to an EOC. Um, it's kind of an as as needed thing. Uh, so we'll we continue to evaluate and uh, we'll keep it active as, as long as it's needed. Cool. I'll get you out of here on this. You and I are baseball fans. We uh, we both used to do. You still do, but I I used to. You and I started uh, doing baseball games for Olivet Baseball on the radio streaming. Uh, oh my gosh, almost ten years ago now. Uh, how are you coping with no baseball or sports? Cause this is a big deal to you. This is, this is tough, man. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> yeah. this is hard. Um, so my, uh, my, I've got a son now who's five and he's finally, finally getting the baseball itch. So we've been playing a lot of wiffle ball out back. So that's helping. That's helping a little bit. Um, I'm reading a, a baseball biography right now. So trying to, so you're so you're working through it. You're working through it. I'm trying. I'm trying to work through it. I I even watched a a classic White Sox game on TV the other night, and I'm not a White Sox fan, but I saw baseball on TV, so I just decided to watch <laughs> it. Um, anything anything I can get right now. It's it's pretty sad. And for the record, you're not a Cub fan either. You're uh no, that's that's true. Seattle Mariners. Seattle Mariners, of course. So, well, hey Kyle, I really appreciate you taking some time to hang out with me today. I know that. Uh, you didn't necessarily ask for this, but you've uh, led with a lot of grace and dignity. And uh, a lot of the people who I run around with on campus from a safe social distance these days, uh, who've been a, who've been a part of the EOC, 
have raved about your leadership. So thanks for giving us a little context of what the university went through and uh, appreciate you being with us. Matt, I appreciate it. And thanks for the kind words. Thanks also for all that you guys are doing on a uh, student side of things to, to keep the community alive, to keep the connections happening because that's incredibly important uh, during this time. So thanks for all you're doing as well. You got it. Kyle Olney, everybody. I'm joined now by uh, Jonathan Pickering, Dr. Jonathan Pickering, correct? Uh, Dean of Academic Operations at the university. Maybe that's just a fancy term for university registrar. I'm not sure. But uh, Jonathan, thanks for coming on with us today. Academic Operations is a big title, uh, and that that seemed to have changed pretty quickly in like just a matter of days. So talk to me about what's been your role through that whole thing. And thanks for being on with us today. Yeah, so academic operations uh, mostly deals with the registrar's office um, as well as institutional research and assessment. But over the last uh, couple of weeks with everything that's gone on with the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, a big part of my job has been working with the Emergency Operations Center uh, and other folks uh, trying to help the academic side of the university on the residential campus uh, make this transition uh, to an online world, which has uh, posed a lot of challenges across the board. I'm assuming, having uh, worked with so many professors on campus, that a lot of them live in that online world already, but I, I kind of have to think that there are some who were thrown into this and were maybe fe- struggling to tread water. I mean, how have the faculty overall responded to this whole thing? You know, Matt, they have just been amazing. Um, you're, you're right. There are some faculty who have experienced teaching online courses. They've taught some classes um, on the residential side, maybe in summer that have been online, or they've taught for, uh, for the graduate school uh, at Olivet in an online environment. And so they had some experience. But yeah, we definitely had quite a few residential faculty who really had no experience teaching in an online environment. And so for them... It was not only trying to figure out how to take their regular um, class material and instructional style uh, and learn how to do that in an online environment. It was really, in many ways, learning how to use a lot of the online tools for the very first time, especially you know, conferences and teams and some of the um, synchronous and asynchronous video tools. So lots of technical things uh, for them to learn. And even for the folks who were, you know, used to teaching online, for those faculty who were used to teaching online, you still had to take uh, all of the content that really they had designed for the second half of the semester to be delivered on ground and in a face-to-face environment and make that translatable into an online, uh, into an online classroom. So really a huge challenge for them. Um, the week, um, that sort of extra week that we had in between spring break and, and coming back to taking classes was just an amazing amount of work that was done by all of the faculty. Um, there were a group of folks that came over from the graduate school and some people who had some expertise uh, already on the residential side that kind of came together to support that effort uh, and, and provide assistance and guidance, um, tutorials, um, helping kind of one-on-one and just really, really great to watch a lot of different people from across campus coming to support the academic side. 
students are now starting to uh, get the hang of this. And uh, as much as we miss being on campus, we're, we're dealing with this. But there are several students who are planning on coming back in the fall, and we're now in the process of registration for the fall. It's hard to believe. It just it feels so weird since we're not there. How is registration, pre-registration going, and what do students who plan on returning to ONU next year need to know? Yeah, so registration just got underway this morning. One of the early decisions we made um, in the Emergency Operations Center uh, right at the very beginning of all of this was to delay registration uh, because there was just no way we were going to be able to deal with, really for students, no way as they were transitioning to an online environment that we wanted them thinking about like planning their schedule for next year. So really just wanted to, to provide a little bit of extra time. Then one of the other things that we did is uh, made the decision not to require advising. Uh, and so for the most part, uh, we're, we're asking students to work with advisors in a more informal way. And then for advisors to follow up after the fact and sort of take a look at student schedules after the fact and just make sure everything looks, looks good. So registration started this morning. Um, a lot of the, the little, we put holds on uh, students' account restrictions on students' accounts that prevent them from registering for a variety of reasons. Um, and we've removed almost all of those to just really streamline the process because obviously it's difficult for students to go from office to office um, and get some things taken care of. So we've really tried to streamline the process to make it easier to register uh, for the fall semester. So it started this morning um, and we are following the same process we normally do. So the students with the most credit hours complete uh, who are planning on coming back next year have permission to register first. And we're doing registration this week and then next week. Uh, and then at the end of next, by next Friday, everybody will have had the opportunity to register for classes for next year. So far, it seems to be going well. Um, definitely getting a lot of questions via email, uh, but we also used to have a lot of foot traffic into the office or right around registration. So really students have been doing a great job of just contacting the registrar email address, registrar at olivet.edu when they've had questions. Uh, and we're just working our way through those. Uh, and so far it seems to be going really well. What's the thing you miss the most uh, in the last three weeks? I know it's only been three short weeks, but what do you miss the most uh, in that time? You know, I really miss people. <laughs> Um, totally. I've been, yeah, I've been coming into work um, almost every day, um, coming in for at least part of the day. And there have been times where I have been the only person on the first floor of Burke, um, other than uh, the president uh, and uh, some of the folks who work in his office. So I work in Burke. And, you know, there are, again, there are days when there's maybe seven or eight people in the entire four-story building plus basement um, and no students. And uh, it, that's just really hard to get used to, walking around campus, uh, being on campus, and just not seeing students. Um, there are some who stayed uh, for, for a variety of reasons. Um, and... And so it's not that there are no students on campus, but in the academic buildings, because there's no classrooms or there's no classes going on, uh, you know, just not seeing uh, students across campus is just a really, really weird feeling. 
Um, so it's, that's, that's been, that's been the hardest thing to get used to just kind of the loss of human contact, uh, both professionally, uh, with colleagues, but then also, uh, seeing, seeing the students, uh, walking across campus, you know, that said, um, a lot of the electronic and uh, the technological tools that we have at our disposal, it, it really, it's making it easy to work together. Uh, and so we're learning a lot of new things. We're learning how to, to do things online um, that I think ultimately will benefit the university for sure. will benefit the registrar's office as we're learning to do things online. And so, you know, we've had a desire to go more paperless for a while. And this is definitely, <laughs> definitely uh, pushing that forward. Yeah, so, for sure. so we're, we're looking for silver linings. Yeah, I think, I think we all are. Well, thanks for taking the time to uh, talk about those things. I know that um, uh, I'm receiving all kinds of questions uh, through our social media platforms and other ways, but I uh, appreciate you coming on to give us uh, your insight. Thanks a lot, man. No problem. Thanks for having me. So it's time for, I think, what will be my favorite uh, portion of the show every week, Moments with Mark. How are you, Mark Holcomb? Of course it will. I'm, I'm doing great. I'm sitting in my front yard in the sun. It's beautiful. Yeah, I, I've been, I think we might hear birds singing, you know, in the background. That'll be fantastic. This is, this is nothing to do with you being the ONU chaplain. Um, uh, this is just two friends talking here. Yeah. Uh, the, the, it's going to be like one question a week. Okay. That's how we're going to operate this thing. So what's the best thing you've seen this week? Hands down. Well, aside from the fact I got to see my two grandkids, hands down, the best thing I've seen this week is I'm sure students probably are way more aware of this because I, I play catch up when it comes to social media all the time. Right. But John, John Krasinski's Some Good News. Yeah, that's awesome, isn't it? But the second week when he had a girl on who had to cancel a trip to New York City with her mom to see Hamilton, and they had the original Hamilton cast sing Alexander Hamilton on Zoom. And it was, I mean, I sat in my man cave and sobbed it was beautiful <laughs> yeah, you, it was amazing yeah you got to see hamilton recently right that was I did was that like a birthday present for you it was and the 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 cast i mean you know it was all the first line cast that was there you know the guy's name better than me who was the lead uh in the chicago who's now in new york actually yeah yeah doing well went to new york to do the lead and of course that's kind of been hijacked like everything else by this but yeah that was because they showed they kept showing the girl's face like on the zoom call as well and her reacting to that and it was funny because she didn't know the office when you watch it she like says well i've never i'd never watched the office i've seen memes but i've never watched the office and of course, I kind of went public a couple of months ago saying that I, The Office is hard for me to watch because it's awkward. But uh, his wife, who was Mary Poppins, right? Yeah, Emily Blunt, yeah. Yeah, so she had just watched uh, Mary Poppins like two nights ago, the night they were supposed to go to Hamilton. She had watched it. And so he brought her in 
to the set. It was magic, wasn't it? And then, yeah, and then, yeah, Lin, Lin Manuel came on, and it was just yeah, killer from there, and I just wept. I didn't snot, but I cried. <laughs> well, that's that's good to know. Okay, so yeah. if you haven't checked it out, some good news. It's uh, John Krasinski. It's all over the internet. You can't miss it. So can't miss it. Uh, all right, Mark. Thanks. I'm looking forward to uh, this weekly gathering where we can just talk fun things. Yeah, I won't see you around, but I'll talk to you around. Yeah, I'll, I'll see you on. If that even makes sense. Yeah, no, I'll see you on Facetime. I'm sure in 20 minutes or so. Thanks, friend. All right, Chaplain Mark Holcomb, everybody. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, so glad you've taken a few minutes out of your day to spend it with us. Uh, next week, we're looking forward to talking to Lisa Vanderveer from our counseling office to get some insight on how we can stay balanced and centered during this time and uh, a few other surprises up our sleeve as well. Make sure you're staying connected with us on our social media platforms, Life at Olivet, on Instagram and Facebook. We would love to stay connected with you there. And uh, if we don't talk to you until next week, stay safe, stay well. And we will see you next time on Tiger Talk.